Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Uh, so I said this last week, uh, and I did not lie. Uh, we are going to take a little break from the book of Romans. Uh, we landed perfectly on Romans 6 last week. Uh, it was the perfect uh, kind of resolution to what it means to walk in the resurrection power. And so uh, it felt like God said, all right, let's take a little break from Romans. And now we're going to move on from that. Uh, and, and this week, as I was praying, I felt like the Lord wanted us to talk about this. Um, if you can't tell what we're going to be talking about with the two giant ears up on the screen right there. Um, so all through uh, Easter, all through after Easter, through our Roman series, we've been talking a lot about what it means to walk in the resurrection power of Jesus, uh, about what it means to be radically obedient to God. Um, just like Jesus, we want in our lives to get to the point where we only say, what we hear the Father saying, and where we only do what we see the Father doing. That's what Jesus says. That's what he did. And so we want to get to the point where that's what we do. Uh, not relying on the Holy Spirit to lead us into miracles only. Not relying on the Holy Spirit to only get us over the giant mountains in our life, right? Lots of times when we talk about a Spirit-filled life, that's what people mean. Well, the Holy Spirit comes and does supernatural things, and he does, but that we can't end it there. That's not a spirit-filled life. God wants so much more than that. He wants us to walk in the Spirit at all times. You know, when Paul talks about walking in the Spirit, he doesn't say, go climb mountains in the Spirit. He doesn't say, go slay giants in the Spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit. We've talked about this, but walking is one of the most foundational things that we do, right? The majority of us here today didn't think when we got up this morning, okay, how do I walk again? How do I get, okay, one foot in front of the other, right? Yep, okay, got it, got it, right? We didn't have to think about it. But God says even the most mundane thing, the thing that you think you got under control, I want you to rely on me and to walk by my power, right? Every part of life. Every moment of every day being 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And this is all well and good. Well, it's actually not because we really struggle to do that, right? It's one of the hardest things that we'll ever do, sacrificing every part of our life. But there's another element that we need to talk about when we talk about living the Spirit-filled life. Can you guess what that is? It's up on the screen, right? This is probably the number one question that I get from individuals when people need pastoral advice or when people are interested in starting, you know, I, all right, Pastor Jeremy, I hear what you say about, you know, being dependent on the Holy Spirit, about trusting him, about following him. How do I hear God's voice, though? How do I know that the voices I hear are the Lord leading me? How do I know that, you know that I'm supposed to go pray for this person? Or how do I know that I'm supposed to you know, do these things? How do I know? 
and really, it all boils down to this. How do we hear the voice of God? And even more importantly, how do we walk in that confidence, right? We want to be so confident as believers that we hear God's voice, that he is leading us, that we can go and we can do what we hear him say and we can confidently perform the things he's asked us to do, right? It's a really good question. A really, really good question. First, we have to want to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, right? We have to want to. And, and really, you know, I'm, I'm going to spoil my own points here. It's all right, I wrote it, right? Holy Spirit wrote it, so I'm going to spoil the points. But I think that's our primary problem, and that's why we took all of this time talking about getting that want to in us to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. You can't want to if you don't realize there's a problem, right? If we continue running through this life thinking, all right, if I do my best and I bring 50%, then God will fill in the rest of the 50% and we'll be good. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so we've got to get past that because culturally that's what we're taught today. Culturally, that's what Christians can be taught today. Not everywhere, but, but a lot of the cultural, popular teaching today, that's what it says. You bring your 50 to 90% and God will fill in the rest. Y'all, I don't see it. I don't see it in my word. I see God will do 100% as if I crucify myself. I crucify myself and I give him 100% of me and he works in me. So we've got to want that first. And I think the number one problem in hearing God's voice is we don't want it. We say we want it. We go through the, you know, all the routines and the things and come to church and say we want it. I don't think we actually want it. But once we get there, once we get to the want to, then we've got to learn to hear that still, small voice of God. And as we step out in obedience, the more you step out in obedience, the easier it is to hear his voice. That first step of obedience, the more you obey, the easier it gets to hear him every step along the way. So how do we hear the voice of God? And really, the story of Samuel that Lexa read to us this morning, it's the perfect place to start. When Samuel first hears the voice of God. And so we are going to start there, and then we're going to bounce around to some different places in Scripture where we can learn about how to hear the voice of God. But this is where we're going to start. Samuel learns to hear the voice of God. We're going to learn with him. And we're going to learn about the God who wants to speak. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking all about the God who wants to speak to us. If we learn anything from the story of Samuel, if we learn anything from the entire Bible, it's that we have a God who desperately desires to communicate with his creation. God desperately wants to talk to you, to speak to you, to have you grow in communion with him. The issue, like we said, for most of us, is that we don't want to listen. So, let's examine this communication breakdown that we have between us and God three ways. Problem number one that we're going to look at is that there is a bad connection. There is a bad connection on our end when God speaks. Problem number two that we have is we need to do a better job of paying attention to the caller ID when we hear voices. Because there are a lot of voices that call us, aren't there? 
And if you don't pay attention to who's calling you, you're going to find yourself responding to voices in ways that maybe you shouldn't. And then finally, the solution to all of this is we have to learn to lean in to the fact that God wants to speak to us, that we serve a God who wants to speak. So first up, let's look at this bad connection that we have with God. First of all, we have to do a little setup here in the story of Samuel. And this is a very important setup because as we dig into this, I think it's, it's so interesting to me. God is good, right? God is so good. And when we follow God, when we walk in the Spirit, it is so cool how he just keeps hitting these themes in his word, right? Y'all, I, I, I've, I've told you this. I hope that you believe me when I say this. This isn't like a humble brag. I'm not smart enough. I'm not intelligent enough to put these pieces together like this, right? I'm just not. But when we walk by the Spirit, he puts these pieces together, and we're going to see that there is this cord that keeps getting struck by the Spirit. And if we're smart, we'll listen to it, right? If God's speaking something and he just keeps speaking it, for me personally, y'all, when God keeps speaking the same thing over and over again, I used to get frustrated, right? Be like, God, you've already taught me this lesson. I'm ready to move on. Like my kids right now are watching the Star Wars movies. Any Star Wars fans? You guys know? But, but Luke Skywalker, right? They just finished the episode where he gets trained by Yoda. And like he's, he's itching to like rush in and rush in. Like, come on, Yoda, I'm ready. I gotta go save my friends, right? And that's how we get in Christianity sometimes. That's how I get. I won't put it on you. It's my fault. I, that's how I get, right? All right, God, I learned that lesson. Let me move on. And what are they, what's, what's Yoda tell Luke Skywalker? He says, hey, if you rush in here before you've actually learned, that's what's gonna cause you to turn to the dark side, right? There's some spiritual truth in that. It's gospel according to Star Wars. Maybe we need to preach that sermon. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Maybe, I don't know. But, but for real, right? I tend to rush through things, and the Holy Spirit says, he said this a long time ago to me, Jeremy, the reason I keep speaking it is because you haven't learned it yet. You say you've learned it, but you don't act like you've learned it. And so if God keeps speaking stuff to us, y'all, we gotta anchor in. We've gotta learn it. We've gotta start doing it. Because this common thread that we continue to see here, it's going to pop up again in this sermon series. Completely different sermon series. But yet, this thread is still there. When we look at Samuel, Samuel comes as a bridge for us. Israel, in Israel's history, Israel starts, they come into the promised land, Joshua comes in, the Israelites conquer all the surrounding areas, there's a few that they don't conquer, but then we get into the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And in the book of Judges, y'all, it's like bipolar Israel, right? Because we go, it's like every other chapter. You've got Israel, they do the right things, they follow God, they worship him only, and God blesses them, and they are in a position of power. And then Israel gets comfortable in that position of power, and they start to relax, and they start to slip, and they start to do things that they're not supposed to be doing. They start to worship the gods of the nations around them, and those nations start to conquer them. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in a position where they're being persecuted, where they're being enslaved. And every time, they cry out to God, God, save us! And God sends judges. God is so good to us, isn't he? Even when we screw up, even when we continue to get it wrong over and over again, he continues to save us. He is so good. And that's what he does to Israel. He keeps saving them through these judges. 
And that's where we find ourselves at the end of the book of Judges. If, if, if you're going to summarize the book of Judges in one sentence, it's this. We see this sentence appear twice in the book of Judges. We see it in Judges 17.6, and then it is the very last sentence in the entire book of Judges in 21.25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Twice we see this exact same sentence. Four times we are told that there was no king in Israel. And every time we see this story, or this, this sentence, this line, guess what's going on in Israel? Not good things. Every time Israel is doing something it shouldn't be doing. Every time Israel is disobeying the Lord. Every time. And this is where Samuel comes on the scene. The book of Judges ends with, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then the very next history part we get, we gotta, if you're reading the, the Bible canonically, I don't know if that's a word, but if you're reading it straight through, you get to Ruth before you get to, to uh, 1 Samuel. But after that, historically speaking, the very next thing we see in the Bible in Israel's history is this story of Samuel. Samuel coming on the scene. So he's coming into Israel. He's being born in Israel at this moment where everyone is doing what was right in their own eyes. We're hitting on a thread here. Do you see it? Where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. There's two ways to do things, y'all. Right? When you do what is right in your own eyes... Whose way are you going? Right? You can call it yours. Well, I'm walking in my freedom. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Jesus didn't buy your freedom like that, Christian. He didn't buy your freedom so that you can walk in your way. That's still man's way. And when you don't have a king, and we have a king, y'all, when you don't have a king, when you don't live like you have a king, you will walk in in whatever way you see fit. You hear this a lot in our culture today, right? That's fine, that's fine. You can believe what you believe. I have my truth, you have yours. There is no such thing as my truth. Y'all, truth isn't a, th a thing that are, well, I, that's how I feel. Congratulations, your feelings aren't truth, right? Look, you can feel that way, that's fine. But you can't let your feelings drive the car, right? Feelings everywhere, in Scripture, outside of Scripture, in life, they are a horrible driver. Disney teaches kids to follow their hearts, right? Horrible idea. Anybody, right? Has anybody out there actually followed your heart? It is almost always a horrible decision, isn't it? Emotions are a terrible guide because emotions fluctuate. But truth doesn't fluctuate. And if you have a king, and your king is your truth, then you're not going to fluctuate. But as long as you're defining your own truth with however you feel, you're going to be all over the place. The church is not doing a good job today of setting this example, y'all. Not at all. You know, I've, I got a rag on a book. I don't mean to, I do mean to rag on a book because I don't like it. But <laughs> the church is all about being emotionally healthy, right? 
And so emotionally healthy, and I gotta I got be honest, there's two sides to this coin. The Bible does not tell us to ignore our emotions. That I, I, part of the reason we've got this response in culture today is because for the longest time, Christians have been like, suppress, suppress, suppress. You don't feel, right? And so we get characters like Elsa coming out. Conceal, don't feel, don't let it show, right? That's what she says. And there's a reason culture says that. Because for the longest time, it's, it's bucking against culture that pushed too hard on don't feel, don't feel, don't feel, right? But we are in just as bad a position if we feel too much. And not, not feel too much, but let our feelings run away with it, right? There's, we've got to stay in the middle. And the only way to stay in the middle is if you have an anchor. And that anchor is your king. And if you walk your king's way, then you do what your king sees fit, not what you see fit. But the church is giving in to this because culture finds it popular. And so if we preach a popular message, it gets more butts in the seats, right? And when there's more butts in the seats, we get more money in the offering box. Win-win, right? No, that's not God's formula, y'all. Best business might say to operate that way, but that's not where the word of God says to operate. The church today is still trying to do things their own way still trying to do things man's way. And y'all, it's not working. If you look around our culture, if you look around at, at what's happening, the church is losing that battle, right? And I, I say the church, that's lowercase c. The, the uppercase c church doesn't lose, y'all. Did you know that? Anchor that down. Uppercase c church doesn't lose. Even when it looks like the church is losing, it's not losing. This is all part of God's plan, y'all and we are riding it. But that doesn't mean that we can do whatever we see fit, right? We want to fit into God's plan. And so we do what's right in his eyes, not what's right in our own eyes. But the problem is, as we give in to this cultural understanding, as we give in to this idea that we can have our own truth, that our feelings can guide us, you know, all this stuff, as we give in to this, it gets harder and harder and harder to hear God's voice. When we do what is right in our own eyes, God's voice slowly but surely gets muted. As we continue to push him off to go our own way, his voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter until we can't hear it anymore. Y'all, the more you put God off, if he's telling you to do something, the longer you put that off, the quieter that voice is going to get. He may be telling you to get away from a sin right now. He'll scream it. It's, it's so loud. And then you take that step towards the sin and away from God, and it gets a little quieter. And that step, and it gets quieter and quieter and quieter. Because guess what, y'all? God doesn't move, right? God says, truth is right here, y'all. Truth is right here. And as long as I insist on running after the further I get, the softer that voice becomes. And I'm afraid, y'all, as we've listened to other voices and as we've let them pull us, that voice of God has gotten so quiet, so quiet to the point that we find ourselves in a very similar position that Samuel found his, himself in. We read that the boy Samuel was attending to the service of the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. 
that Hebrew phrase for visions were infrequent literally reads, there was no vision spreading. If God's vision isn't spreading, y'all, if God isn't speaking, that is a problem. And can I tell you something? When there's a problem, guess who very rarely is the culprit who made an error? God, right? I I said very rarely. Never, right? Never. God's never the problem. When you can't hear God's voice, guess who moved? It wasn't him. Now, I got a timeout. We got a freeze, you know, when you're watching Saved by the Bell and all the characters just freeze and then Zach Morris comes out and gives a little like thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. (laughs) But we got to call a timeout because I have to say there are moments as a Christian in your walk that you will go through that are dry seasons. There are seasons you will go through. I have been through plenty of dry seasons, y'all, where it feels like somebody just cut the telephone line, right? And God's just not talking. And it's like, God? And you got to be careful because if we sit here and say, well, if God's not talking, who moved? And then that happens to you, you're like, oh, God, what did I do? What did I do to you? I didn't think I did anything wrong. And so we go through all the lists and all the things. And okay, I got to plead the blood. I got to beg for forgiveness. I got to go see a priest. I got to, I don't know, maybe become a Catholic. I don't know what I got to do, but I got to do something. And we go through this whole rigmarole of all of this stuff In actuality, there's nothing broken. God sends us through these dry seasons, and I, for one, am going to be really excited to get to heaven and find out why. Um, Now, I I will say this. Some of the best advice I ever got when I was going through dry seasons is just keep walking in what he told you last. Whatever you know God spoke to you last, just keep walking because the dry season will end, right? Right? But I think sometimes, you know, he's got different reasons for everybody, but sometimes he sends us through these dry seasons, I think, to make sure that we're still going to seek his voice, that we're not just going to latch on to any old voice that we happen to hear because we're so desperate to hear something. And unfortunately, we get into that sticky situation, right? In, a, in the middle of a dry season, we're so desperate to hear something that we'll grab on to any voice that we hear. Oh, that must be the voice of God. And we start running after goofy stuff that we shouldn't be running after. But with that out of the way, there are times when God goes quiet and it is because we insist on doing things our way. Because there is a bad connection between us and God. Israel was going through a bad connection moment. They were more interested in doing life their way And therefore, they weren't all that interested in doing things God's way. And as long as that's our disposition, listen, y'all, and this is where we get back to that want to. As long as God knows, I'm going to speak to Jeremy and he's not going to do this. I'm going to speak to Jeremy and tell him which way to go and he's not going to go. He's not going to sit there and bang his head against the wall if he knows I'm not going to listen. And so there has to be that want to. There has to be that desire on our part that we're going to listen. If we're just going to go do our own thing anyway, and like we said, that voice is going to become quieter and quieter. 
no one was speaking in Israel. And when no one speaks, we have to be painfully aware of who is speaking when we do hear a voice, right? Which is why we have to listen to or pay attention to the caller ID. Now, unfortunately, we don't have that luxury when it comes to spiritual guidance, right? We don't get a little screen that says God and then a little screen that says Satan. I wish we did. That'd be really nice. You do have this book, which is your caller ID, right? And the better you know your word, the less likely you are to slip off of that path. The more likely you are to recognize his voice when he calls. And I think the problem that we are in as a church today is that not enough Christians know their word. Uh, I can't remember who it is. There's, there's a Christian. I'm sure we'll talk about it because we're going to be talking about God speaking. So one of the things we will talk about is scripture. But there was one pretty big theologian, I don't remember who it was, one of the old school preachers, but he said that he believed that Christians should be in their Bible every day, that every single Christian should at least read their Bible all the way, cover to cover, in a year, every single one of them. And y'all, listen, I, I know, I know the reaction. We bristle, right? And there are some of you who started that Bible in a year plan, <laughs> and you started it, right? And that's how we are every day. But, but y'all, we are so distracted, aren't we? We are so distracted. And I will tell you something. I, I, look, hate me if you want. The reason you don't read your Bible in a year is not because you don't have time. There, you can Look, excuses all you want. It is not important enough to you. I'm sorry, y'all. Think through your life. And, and if, if you've never read through your Bible in a year and this is punching, you know, stabbing with knives, hey, at least I'm doing it stabbing you in the front, right? <laughs> We're not stabbing any backs here. But listen, if you haven't read your Bible in a year, y'all, make the word of God a priority in your life. That's it. I, I, I swear the, the best thing you could possibly do is come up with a schedule. If you make it a part of your routine, I promise you, you will read your word every day. Y'all, I read my word the first thing when I get up, every single morning. First thing, you can ask my kids, you can talk to my wife. They get ignored until I have read my word. And most of the time that means I get up at four in the morning so that I can get my word reading in and my prayer time in before anybody else gets up. I need that undivided attention to the Lord. I need it. And so I make my schedule so that it fits. And if I wait till the evening I have found, life gets in the way. If I try to do it in the middle of the day, life gets in the way. So what do I do? I set my alarm for four in the morning. I wake up. I read my Bible. I pray. I work out. The workout thing's not necessary. You don't have to do that. But it's in my routine, right? And so guess what I do every day? There is never an excuse. We have got to prioritize the word of God as Christians. I'm preaching another sermon, but we've got to, because if we don't, we are never going to recognize who's calling and who isn't. There is an absolutely terrifying story in scripture, and I do not think it terrifies us nearly enough. You can actually find it in both 1 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, but the story is about Ahab. Ahab is an evil king in Israel. 
All right, and Ahab and Israel and uh, Judah, they're, they're being attacked by all of these surrounding nations. And so the, the Jehoshaphat, the king in Judah, he decides he's going to go join forces with Ahab, the king of Israel. And they're going to go to war. And so they call together all the prophets of the Lord. They call together all of the prophets and they say, tell us prophets, prophesy. Are we going to be victorious against the Arameans as we go out? And the prophets say, you better believe it. You better believe it. The God who fights for Israel, he's going to step in and he's going to fight for you. God will never watch his people fall. God will never watch his people suffer. He will fight for you. And you got, you got to imagine, they were going nuts, right? Yeah, that's right. And as each one of them got up there, every single one of the prophets, every single one of the prophets was saying the same thing. Until... Jehoshaphat said, isn't there anyone who's like actually a prophet of the Lord? And Ahab says, yeah, there is. There's this guy named Micaiah. But every time he ever prophesies anything about me, King Ahab, who's only interested in going his own way, it's always bad. I don't want to talk to him. But Jehoshaphat insists. Come on, we got to call this guy. And so one voice steps up and says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Each of them is to return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy anything good regarding me, but only bad? Isn't that just like us, y'all? We go our own way. We do our own thing. God, why aren't you blessing me? God, what are, what's going on here? Why aren't good things happening? Right? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the angels of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall? At Ramoth Gilead. And one spirit said this while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. Then he said, You shall entice him, and you will also prevail. Go and do so. Now then, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Y'all, everyone who says they have a prophecy from the Lord, be so very careful, little ears, what you hear. Test every single one of the spirits. This is terrifying, isn't it? This is why it is so vital that we are able to recognize who is actually speaking. You know, we have a very, very dangerous tendency to look at these stories and be like, Ahab, evil. Ahab's prophets, evil. Oh, look at, look at this. Oh, they missed it so much. Y'all, be careful. We are all so much closer to Ahab's prophets than we think we are, aren't we? Remember what Paul says, right? We talked about this in the beginning of Romans. Careful when you're judging, right? Because it wasn't so long ago if you are out of those woods, it wasn't so long ago that you were doing the same stuff, right? 
that your eyes were just as darkened, that you were just as obsessed with going your own way. Right? I'm going to make some people angry. (laughs) I love making people angry. As long as it's by the Spirit, right? Remember, there was an election a couple years ago. You guys remember that election? (laughs) You don't want to, right? But, But remember, there were prophets coming out of the woodworks on YouTube channels and all over the place. Donald Trump is going to win this election and the nation of America is going to prosper. Remember? Remember? What happened, y'all? Well, the election was rigged. Those prophets had it right. So you're telling me that God didn't know that the election was going to be rigged? and he was Right? Now, you're lucky they're not in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, you know what happened if a prophet said something and it didn't come true? <laughs> right? Stones, prophet, done. Right? But here's the deal. I'm not saying that to poke fun. I'm not saying that to, to you know, we, we have this nasty, nasty tendency, especially in politics, to, to, to draw the line and say good, evil, right? And so false prophets, evil, right? Evil, Ahab, evil, right? Yeah, Ahab was evil. He did awful things. But y'all, I'm not so certain that all of his prophets were evil. I don't think that every single one of them was, was you know, like, ah, oh, we hear what God's really saying, but we're going to say something else. I don't think that's the case. Just like I don't think it's the case that people thought, thought they heard God tell them that Trump was going to win this election, right? But I think that the God that was calling them, if they really paid attention to that caller ID, was most likely nationalism, not God. You guys know what nationalism is? Nationalism, like pride in a nation, right? Why wouldn't God want Israel to win? Israel's God's people, y'all. Why wouldn't God want America to win? Why wouldn't God put a president in charge who's going to uphold Christian values? I don't know, but he didn't, did he? That does not mean that God's plan is broken. That does not mean that God's out of control. It means that he's got a very good reason. His reason back then is because he wanted this evil man to go into battle, this Ahab to go into battle. Because in this battle, Ahab was going to pay for all of the sins that he had committed while he was king over Israel. And God was going to remove him as king by force. God's got his reasons. And if we're not paying attention to the caller ID, we're going to get goof it up because we're going to hear these other things and we're going to think with man's logic, well, yeah, of course God wants this and we'll run after it. Well, yeah, of course God wants me to do this and we'll run after it because it's any voice, right? Y'all, you guys ever get those Medicare calls, right? You get a call from Toledo, Ohio. It's like, oh, I might know this person. Pick it up. This is Susan from the Medicare helpline, we've noticed that your Medicare benefits may not be getting all that you need. Whatever she says, you know, Susan, come on. But y'all, why do you answer the call? We get those calls all the time on the Gospel House number. I don't know who had that phone number before the Gospel House existed, but somebody who bought into every single one of those spam calls because we get them all the time. But the problem is, y'all, I answer every one of them. Because it pops up and it says somebody from Bowling Green's calling me. 
And so I think, well, gee, maybe somebody needs directions to the gospel house or wants me to pray for them or whatever. And so I answer, and sure enough, Susan. <laughs> but they spoof these numbers, right? And they may, you know, you get on the phone, it's somebody from India. You're not from Toledo. What are you doing, right? But y'all, Satan's doing the same thing. He is so good when he tempts Jesus in the desert. What's he come at Jesus with? He doesn't come at him with and say, the teaching of Satan says. He doesn't do that. He comes at Jesus with scripture, right? He tries to sneak in there. Now, the trick here is he's, he's coming at the word of God. Jesus is the word of God, right? And he's trying to use the word of God against Jesus. That's not a good idea, y'all. But they spoof the numbers, right? It makes it look like it's someone else. I don't think it's, it's evil to get these other voices and to start following after them. I think it's confusion. But the enemy loves confusion, y'all. And God is not a God of confusion. Right? He's a God of peace. But only following that voice. Look at, look at this story, y'all. Every single prophet except Micaiah said that God told them Israel would win. The caller ID said God, but it wasn't God. And we know that because Micaiah was right. Israel did not win the battle. We see this so often today, people running after all of these voices. And it's absolutely maddening. And y'all, I feel for you. <laughs> I am, I'm with you. There are so many voices vying for our attention today. So many voices. And it is so easy to give in. The same thing happens to Samuel, right? It's not a wonder when he first hears God call. We, this is what we read today. It happened that as Eli was lying down in his place and the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was that the Lord called Samuel and he said here I am then he ran to Eli and said here I am for you called me but he said I did not call you go back and lie down so he went and lay down and the Lord called again Samuel so Samuel got up and went to Eli and said here I am for you called me but he said I did not call my son go back and lie down now Samuel did not yet know the Lord nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him so the Lord called Samuel again for a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Samuel had never heard the voice of God. And so it's not all that surprising that he had no idea who was calling him. So he did what a lot of us do, right? He screened the phone call. That's what you do, right? When you don't recognize a phone number? Yeah. And he ran to Eli. You're the only one here, Eli. Did you call me? And Eli doesn't even get it at first, right? Now, we'll give him a little credit. He's probably pretty sleepy. But you've got to remember, Eli is the priest in Israel. He's the prophet in Israel. If anybody is supposed to be able to hear the voice of God, to know the voice of God, it's supposed to be Eli, right? But even Eli's line, that priesthood line from Eli was broken because of Eli's sons. 
They were doing all sorts of awful stuff. And parents, pay attention. Eli refused to rebuke them. And because of that, the entire family falls under judgment. Parents, I know it seems like the loving thing to do. It seems like the easy way out. But if you fail to rebuke your children, judgment will come on the entire house. If you let them do what they see fit, that's not being a good parent. Not popular, but it's true. But Eli finally connects the dots this third time. And this is where discipling is so vital. Because y'all, Eli could have turned Samuel a lot of different directions at this point, right? And this is what worries me so much about the church today. Because Eli very easily could have said, Samuel, I think God's calling you. This is most likely what he's going to say. And then Samuel gets filled with Eli's way. Y'all, and and I, I have to be careful of that. When people come to me for pastoral advice, I have to be careful that I'm not leaning on my understanding and saying, well, I see your situation and I'm connecting the dots here and I think you should X, Y, Z. I don't want y'all to be filled with Jeremy's wisdom. I don't want you to do what Jeremy thinks is best, right? I see a lot of this in ministry today through books, through pastors, through counseling. I see a lot of this in ministry today where it's, well, God's probably speaking to you and when God speaks, he most likely says this. And we fill in the blank of what we think a Christian should look like. He could have said, Samuel, God's talking to you. Here's a pamphlet on how to hear the voice of God. And for three easy payments of $25.99, I'll sell you this DVD where you can find the 12 steps to successfully achieve hearing the voice of God. Right? Sell our books. Sell our DVDs. But Eli didn't do that. In a discipling relationship, Eli pushed Samuel to pursue God. Not who Eli thought God was, not, not anything else, not a procedure, not, not nothing else. He had Samuel pursue the voice of God. Go back and listen to the voice of God and do what he says. We have to be so careful, y'all, because in the church, in Christianity, we are flooded with so many voices. You guys know I'm on a, I'm, I'm on a book fast where I, I'm not reading any book except for the Bible. That, that's the only book I'm reading. On the fence about breaking it to read one Keller book just, just since he passed. It's kind of my memorial, but I haven't yet. Still, still trying to decide whether that's from God or if I need to do that. But, but the reason is, y'all, podcasts, books, like all the things, we are flooded with voices. We are absolutely flooded by people who say, this is who you need to be. This is what a Christian looks like. This is what you need to do. This, 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 this. And they're all different, right? It's maddening. I will never forget an experience in my early ministry. Probably, maybe the, the first, I mean, years of ministry. I have this little white rock up here. If you saw this little rock, it's here for a reason. 
early in my ministry, I struggled with my identity. I struggled mightily with who I was supposed to be. I struggled with my calling. I didn't feel worthy to, to go into full-time ministry. I, all of the things. I had all of these voices, Christian voices, mentors in my life, who were all telling me, this is who Jesus called you to be. You need to go into this ministry. But then a different voice, no, this is who Jesus called you to be. You need to go here. No, this ministry, this ministry. It was maddening. It's a mess. Anybody? And over and over again. And then one night I went to this, we, we were having this big youth event. It's called Serve BG. And so all of these youth groups from a bunch of different areas, they came and we would go out and serve in the community. And then at night we would come back and we would do these worship nights. And so I was leading worship at, at these worship nights. And at one of the, the nights, the, the pastor who was over this, Pastor Cornell Jordan, he gave this altar call. And in the altar call, he had students come up front and they picked up these white stones. And on those white stones, they would pray and they would listen. And they, then God would, would change their identity. So the idea was that you're giving up your past identity, you're giving up your past, and then on that white stone, you'd take a marker and you'd write your new name on the white stone. And the, that's derived from Revelation 2, uh, in verse 17. It talks about God giving uh, believers a, a white stone with a new name written on it that's going to be between him and them and nobody else will know it. And so they would come up there, and you know, as, as the worship leader, if you haven't noticed this, worship leaders play music during altar calls, right? You never get to participate in the altar call. But I needed that. I was like, God, why do I have to be up here playing guitar right now? Like, <laughs> I want to go get a rock. Because I needed it. Y'all, I had no idea who I was. I had no idea who I was supposed to be. And look, we can, we can be as judgmental as we want with the trans community and the LGBTQ and all this stuff. Y'all, give a little compassion because these people don't know who they are. And we can judge and we can judge and we can judge, but y'all, they need to know who their creator has made them to be. And that doesn't come with a sex change. And it doesn't come with a different sexual preference. And it will never come with those things. It comes with this voice of God calling and telling you. And so I went up after service, after the service was all done, I went up and I snuck a rock. I took it. And I went home and I said, all right, I'm going to get up early tomorrow morning and I'm going to pray this and I'm going to have my own little altar call. And that's what I did. Got up early the next morning. I went out on our back porch at our old house with my little rock and Sharpie. And I walked out there. And I was like, all right, God, here I am. I want you to tell me who I am. And just out of nowhere, I heard this voice just cut through the morning silence and said, I'm calling you to be a worship leader. But then I heard another voice There was a different voice and it told me something completely different. And then another that told me something different and another and another and another. And I am not kidding you all. I can still feel the anxiety of that moment. I mean, it was like somebody was twisting my insides because y'all, this was my worst fear. This was a nightmare coming true. 
that I was broken and that God didn't have a plan for me and it felt like there were a legion of voices screaming in my head all of these things that I was supposed to be, that I was supposed to do. And I was just about to give up. I was just about to take that dumb rock and throw it a mile. And out of nowhere, all of the voices were silenced. And one voice cut through. And he said, you are called. And that was it. No more voices after that. Nothing else. And so I took my rock and I wrote called on it. And y'all, I have never doubted my calling since then. From that moment on, because I heard the voice of God, look, y'all, I still don't think I'm worthy. I still don't think I'm good enough to do these things that God's told me to do. I still don't think I'm talented enough. I don't think, all the things, right? All the excuses that we come up with to not run after what God's told us to do. I still think all of them. But the difference is I have heard God's voice. He has called me. And so all of those questions, me not being worthy, me not being qualified, me not being, all of those things, that's between God and everybody else. If everybody else wants to question my calling, they can go for it. Take it up with him. You don't think I'm good enough to pastor a church? Fine, but talk to God about it because he's the one that told me to do it. And so y'all, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, right? I don't know what I'm going to do in 10 years, in five years, but I know I'm called. And when Jesus says, Jeremy, go, I'm going to go. And when Jeremy, Jesus says, when Jeremy says, I don't do. When Jesus says, Jeremy, do this, I'm going to do it. Because I'm called. But it all stems from one thing, y'all. One thing. I heard the voice of the God who wants to speak. And God wants to speak, y'all. All through the Bible, we see this character trait of God, but nobody talks about it enough. You know, we come up with the big character traits, right? God's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? We come up with those big ones. But nobody talks about this one. God's deepest desire is to communicate himself to his creation. God wants you to know him. Y'all, God wants you to know him more than you want to know him, (laughs) right? Right? No matter how badly you think you want to know God, I promise you he wants you to know him more than that. Which means God wants to talk to you more than you want to hear him. Right? His deepest longing. This is absolutely foundational, y'all, to all of this, to everything that we're going to talk about in this sermon series. It is all contingent on this. You cannot move forward off of this fact, God wants to speak to you. This should give us incredible comfort because honestly, all the majority of the people that I talk to, they absolutely flip out about this stuff. And and, and, and honestly, I get it. Like I said, all of those voices that came to me telling me who I was, that's an absolutely awful experience. 
And I feel like that's a lot of Christianity today because we wrap ourselves up in this information overload of who everybody else says a Christian should be. But never once do we stop and ask God, God, who do you want me to be? Instead, we listen to Tim Keller and we say, okay, who does Tim Keller want me to be, right? Y'all, Tim Keller would tell you the same thing. Any pastor worth his salt would tell you, he won't anymore because he's dead, but he would have. They'd tell you the same thing. Y'all, I don't want to add one more voice to this conversation. I don't want to add one more procedure for you to go home and say, okay, have I stilled myself? Am I sitting Indian style on the floor? Do I put my fingers up in meditation like this and close my eyes and chant a mantra? Like, how, what do I do to hear the voice of God better? Throw the procedure out the window, y'all. Throw it out the window. Because what happens is we get Christians who get bent out of shape about procedure. And then, lo and behold, God does the greatest thing he could ever do for you, and the procedure doesn't work. Do you know why that's the greatest thing? Because if the procedure works, guess what you trust? You don't trust God to speak to you. You trust the procedure to work, right? So the best thing God could do for you is the procedure doesn't work. But the problem is we live in a world where when the 12 steps in the book don't work, I think I'm broken, not the 12 steps that are broken. Throw it out. Throw it all out. Because at the core of all of this, God wants to talk to you. My job as your pastor is not to get you to come to me to hear from God. I am not your interpreter. We threw that away a long time ago. Not us here, but the church in general. It used to be you had to come to the priest, right? You had to come. The pastor was the only one who could hear from God. I'm the only one who can interpret scripture accurately, so you have to come to me. And look, y'all, that's a great church growth strategy because if you can't do it on your own, then you have to keep coming back, right? And as long as you have to keep coming back, you have to keep paying the bills because if we don't have electricity, you don't get any of this. Look, y'all, I hope y'all come back next week, but I hope you do it because you love our church family. I hope that the things that I say teach you. I hope that, that God reveals stuff through it. But y'all, you don't need me to hear from God. You do not need me. You do not need anyone else to hear from God. You can hear just fine on your own. And it's because we serve a God who wants to talk to us. We see this in the story of Samuel. Look at how patiently persistent God is with Samuel. The story ends, uh, Samuel's hearing, it concludes with this, the Lord came and stood and called as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am going to do a thing in Israel and both ears of everyone who hear about it will ring. God calls to Samuel at least three times before this. We get three times recorded in scripture, right? But those are the three times that Samuel hears, right? Who knows how long if God was if trying to get his attention earlier than that. We're told three times, so we're going to stick with three times. Where the Bible remains silent, we should remain silent, so we're not going to project that anything goofy. At least three times. But praise God, our God is not a God who says three strikes and you're out. Because listen, y'all, there are some of you right now in this room. There are some of you watching online, wherever you are, you're there. You thought, 
Pastor Jeremy, I am X years old. I have sought and sought and sought after God and want him to talk to me, and he hasn't said boo. If it hasn't happened by now, it's not going to happen. Lies, y'all. That is exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. That you are broken and that you cannot hear the voice of God. But y'all, it is false. There is nothing that could be further from the truth. Half truth, you are broken. But y'all, Jesus Christ gave his life to put you together. This is Jesus on his way, while he's walking to be betrayed by the ones he loves. While he's walking to be captured, to be put on a cross for yours and my sin. This is what he teaches his disciples. Jesus says, now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, grief has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment, regarding sin because they do not believe in me, and regarding righteousness because I am going to the Father and you no longer are going to see me, and regarding judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them at this present time. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take from mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. This is why I said that he takes from mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus tells his disciples, I cannot possibly tell you all that there is that you need to know. And I am not going to be with you, physically speaking, forever. But my Father has a plan. And that plan, Jesus Christ would give his life. He would die a horrific death on a cross. He would be crucified, dead, laid in a tomb. He would descend into hell. But after three days, Jesus would defeat death. He would defeat hell, Satan, and the grave. And after a time of teaching his disciples, Jesus would ascend to the right hand of the Father so that the Holy Spirit could be released to live inside of every single believer who calls on the name of Jesus for every single disciple of Christ. Church, do you see it? Do you see the gift that we have. God wants you to hear him so much that Jesus Christ gave his life to remove everything that could possibly come in the way. You say, how do you know? I'm not Samuel. I'm not a pastor. I'm not called baloney. How do you know, pastor? How do you know? Because Jesus taught this and he didn't teach it for just pastors and he didn't teach it for just priests and he didn't he taught it for every single believer 
when the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, it doesn't handpick who it's going to fall on. Well, only this certain group is called. Well, only this certain group is called to hear the voice of God. It doesn't do that. That's not how God works. The Holy Spirit falls on every believer who calls on the name of Jesus. Which means that every believer is capable of hearing his voice. Disciple of Christ, rest in that. Breathe a breath of relief. You aren't broken. God wants to talk to you. He wants his voice to be the clearest thing that you hear. Jesus himself says this, John 10, verses 27 and 28, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one is strong enough to snatch you out of God's hand. But here's the thing, y'all. You have to want to, right? We say we want to hear him. We say we want to hear his voice. But y'all, if Jesus is going to talk to you, he expects that you do what he says. And so if you don't intend to do what he tells you to do, if there's part of you that's holding back, then there's always going to be a barricade between you and hearing his voice. Now look, God can break through barricades, y'all. And some Christians, you have that testimony. You were running as hard as you could the other way, and God busted through. And I pray every single one of you that's running right now, <laughs> you got your pastor praying for the hound of heaven coming after you. I think that was Spurgeon called Jesus the hound of heaven because, boy, he'll chase you down and he won't stop until he gets you. And I pray that blessing <laughs> on every single one of you that's running right now, on every single one of your loved one that's running. Nobody's safe. I'm praying it all, y'all, right? But, guys, the problem is rarely that God isn't speaking. The problem is almost always that we aren't listening or that we're not interested in following through. So here's the question, Gospel House. Do you want to hear his voice? Do you? So drown out the noise. Get rid of the distractions. This requires during your prayer time, y'all, I start taking my phone and chucking it across the room. Right? Get it out of the way. Anything that's going to be a distraction, get it out of the way. Desire him and seek his voice and do what he tells you to do. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.